the title of today's episode is how and when to raise money. So if you are a startup founder or working in the investment team and you want to raise money, this is going to be the episode for you. Last March, we raised you know just about $4 million total. Um, and going into this next fundraise, we've just crossed our 50% mark um, and, until we're out of cash, right? So we're just a little below. This is Corey. $2 million now, and we're starting to raise. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, it's different today than it may have been a year or two ago, right? Our first fundraise was in the midst of the crypto collapse, wars breaking out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our second fundraise is starting right, uh, right after this. Corey is a CEO and co-founder at MassDriver, a company that helps to improve the developer experience of cloud operations. Corey has built startups and managed cloud operations for over 20 years. If you want to know more about me, go to issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H.com, issuesing.com. You can go there and learn more about me. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at issue at the rate starting to know.com. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Corey to the show. Hi, Corey. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure to have you here. What is that you do at, at the Mass Driver? Um, yeah, Mass Driver is a visual development environment for managing cloud infrastructure. We help teams that don't have operational expertise quickly provision resources in the cloud with security and compliance baked in. Any reference tool or this is a one-of-a-kind tool that does not exist? Is something new that you have developed? Yeah, it's definitely something new that we've developed. I know that's quite a, a trope that, that founders say, but we're, we really are on the edge of a, a new market, which is uh, platform engineering tools and internal developer platforms. So um, it's just a different way of managing cloud infrastructure than traditional infrastructure as code tools that software developers typically use. I ask this question because we do use traditional approach. So like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look more into it after the show. And have you raised any money for the mass driver? Uh, yeah, we finished our seed round in uh, early 2022, right before everything went crazy. Corey, is this the first ever raise that you did or have you done for any other company, any of your previous startup or maybe this one? Yeah. So I've been, um, I've been the CTO of a few startups during the fundraise and I wasn't really privy to them. Previous to Mass Driver, the only other fundraise I've actually engaged in was just a pre-seed for another startup of mine, uh, Deal Science, maybe a decade ago. And that was like a quarter million dollar small round, which was big, big at the time. Uh, I think we ran for two years on that. Um, and then Mass Driver, this is actually uh, early 2022, was Mass Driver's second round we had a, a failed round the first time so we spent about three three four months out fundraising didn't raise any money mm -hmm. ended up getting into y combinator and raised at the end of y combinator what about this one like you raised via y combinator or yeah so y combinator was a part of the race um uh but we did a seed round right afterwards so we yeah. effectively did like an angel pre-seed with y combinator and then uh mm -hmm. Uh, full round afterwards. Okay. Corey, like I've heard about Y Combinator, big name. Is this like an essential step the person would need to take to raise an investment if you don't have that warm introduction that usually angels or venture firms ask for? Like, what is your take here? 
I mean, I think Y Combinator is a great program. There's a lot of other great ones out there, Tech Angels, et cetera. Y Combinator for us, it was actually something that we hadn't really considered. Like despite being in dev tools and being a software engineer for a long time and a follower of Hacker News, just it, it had never come to mind. And geez, I think it was maybe mid-December. So I think they were already past the due date for the batch that we were going to be in. And we had just, like I said, we'd had a failed raise. Like we spent mm-hmm. months trying to raise money and somebody was just like, well, why don't you apply for Y Combinator? And um, I've been a remote engineer for 15 years. And so it just never came to mind because I was like, I don't want to move to the Valley to, you know, not the Valley, sorry. Uh, I don't want to move to Silicon Valley to um, to join YC. And a friend was uh, told me that they were doing a remote program. And I was like, okay, well, if they're doing remote, might as well apply for it. So, you know, uh, the deadline had already closed. They were still accepting um, applications. We figured it was a long shot. And um, we were the last company added to the YC batch for early 2022. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Was that a rigorous one? Like really tough? I think I'm, I'm applied once or maybe not. It was a half application. I don't remember exactly, but it was a long time ago. So yeah, your experience, what was that? Yeah, so I mean, we we actually had a pretty easy time getting in. And I think that in, in retrospect, um, the same reason we were able to get into uh, YC and what, what seemed to be easy, I think, was the same reason our fundraise in, in March of last year was also fairly easy for us. Um, we had a partner who had worked in cloud operations. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like the real key. Like when we were out, trying to market our fundraise originally we were talking to um you know plenty of people who hadn't worked in this space before right we're talking to vcs who you know have they may have backgrounds in software they may have just been backgrounds in in business and and uh, investing and our partner at yc just knew the pain of cloud operations and so it spoke to him um now being said i know plenty of people that have applied to yc multiple times and not gotten in and Mm. You know, for, for those people, I would say like the most important thing there is like there's just thousands of companies that apply every year now. Like not getting into YC doesn't mean that your idea is bad. It's just that there was 400 other ideas that they liked more, right? Mm. Or that they got to first, right? So, I mean, it's there, there are just a ton of people applying. And so I'd say if you want to get into a program like that, apply to YC, but also apply to some of the others um, just because there's there's a lot of competition to get in there. Mm-hmm. And, and Corey, when is the right time to raise the money? What have you felt so far uh, with your product or overall? When is the right yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, the right time is when you need the money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and truly, and truly, when you need the money, right? So, I mean, you know, our first fundraise, my co-founder and I, or one of my co-founders and I had, I think we both put about 50 grand into the business in just our own time. So we quit our jobs and just started burning our um, savings. And we, we wanted to bootstrap, like, honestly, that was our goal. We were going to go out and find a couple of customers and and bootstrap the thing. And we had not planned to raise at all. Um, We were struggling to find customers. We were struggling to get the MVP put together in a way that spoke to potential customers. And that's when we originally started to look for the fundraise. And we had honestly, we, we'd waited probably a bit too long for our own comfort on that very, very first fundraise. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we didn't plan on spending 50 grand of our own savings each, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. on, on, on getting mass driver off the ground. Uh, the only reason we did is because we were dedicated to the idea and 
no and no investors wanted to give us money so now like when we came out of yc it was you know yc we got a you know i think they we were the first batch where they were doing a half a million dollars so five hundred thousand dollars is what they invest in you now through two different uh investment vehicles that money that we got from yc would have probably lasted us a few months and so mm-hmm. The fundraise we did immediately after YC was just absolutely necessary. Like we needed, we needed the capital to build something very complex that was going to require a lot of hands. Hmm. Um, you know, today we're actually getting ready to go into our next fundraise, and hmm. you know, I think last March we raised you know just about four million dollars total. Um, and going into this next fundraise, we've just crossed our 50% mark um, and, until we're out of cash, right? So we're just a little below $2 million now and we're starting to raise. And I think that, you know, it's different today than it may have been a year or two ago, right? Our first fundraise was in the midst of the crypto collapse, wars breaking out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our second fundraise is starting right uh, right after this SVB collapse. Um, we we had telegraphed to our investors the day before SVB collapse that we were going to do our next fundraise. So we don't we don't have really great timing as far as like catastrophic world events go. Um, but the reason we decided to raise now is like the world is just a bit more uncertain. And while we've got a decent amount of capital left, mm. um, we want to make sure that we are fundraising now and not getting towards the end of our runway where it just puts us in a, uh, or puts our backs against the wall. Um, we want to make sure that we have leverage in the fundraise. Makes sense to have some cash left so that some something goes even wrong. Uh, like a lot of things, wrong things are already happening. So yeah, something goes even wrong than that. So you have the cash. I got it. So Corey, the first as you as you said like it was hard no one was giving the money then you started why uh, then you applied for y combinator you got the check from there you raised the money you're raising again i think you have gotten into the flow what do you feel like is that you have raised the first time and you have built the connections that is how the you're getting the money for even second fundraise is that a connection is that the flow what do you feel like what is happening there yeah so i mean the the first fundraise when we went around and our first our our failed fundraise we Mm. pitched 127 investors we got 127 127 no's (laughs) and i just kept going and here i am um so i mean you can't get there uh i think you just have to you know really look at your product and see if there is a pain there and if you're just not pitching it right or you're not talking to the right investors and that was the thing that I realized getting into YC. Two things happened. Um, one, just talking to our YC partners and, and their own pains with operations made me realize that I'd been talking to the wrong uh, VCs. Mm-hmm. I was out originally pitching. And, and I honestly, I'd stumbled into warm intros. I just just completely stumbled backwards into warm intros our first time around. Um, mm-hmm. It was by luck. Um, it was a friend of a friend knew everybody, uh, and that's mm. kind of how it happened. So it it is unfortunate, like how hard it is to get into some of these places through cold intros. Mm. Um, so I mean, I think that you know, working the LinkedIn network or working, um, oh geez, I know there's another product for specifically for VCs and fundraising. I can't remember it offhand, but I can mm. I can look it up and give it to you for the show notes. But okay. um, just working that network and finding your way there and, and having a good reason to talk to that VC, right? Like having something that fits with their investment thesis, fits well in their portfolio and 
um, you know, you, you write that intro for them, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not writing a boilerplate intro that you're sending to a friend to send to friends. You're writing something that really catches their attention. And that's mm-hmm. what changed for us when we got into YC is when we saw that how easy it was to pitch it to somebody who knew the pain, that's what changed our perspective going into our first successful rounds. I went on LinkedIn. I had a list of VCs that I liked. I had a list of funds that I liked. I went through and went and looked at where all the partners I was planning to talk to had worked previously. Mm. And so what I was doing is I was filtering down and looking for people that had worked as software engineers, had worked in cloud operations and networks, uh, network data centers. I wanted to find people that I knew had suffered this pain personally and, I, and had they'd moved on to like the VC world. And I wanted to pitch them on the pain that they had previously felt. Um, and so mm. that's, that's what made the round just a lot easier as I was talking to people that understood it. So I didn't have to explain this pain they may not have felt before. Um, and a tool that was extremely complex, I could talk to something they understood, uh, notifications there. I have my do not disturb on, I'm not sure why that's coming through. Yeah. So that was, that was the real, that was the real catch there was just mm. focusing on VCs that I knew, knew the space, knew the pain, uh, and then getting in there and just delivering at my best. Now, when we actually did our pitching, um, we spent a lot of time on our deck. And I think this only works for some industries. I'm not sure it worked for all industries. But when we got into actually doing our pitching, um, I started leaving our deck behind. I'd do a slide or two, and then I would just jump right into the demo. Mm-hmm. And we'd luckily built a tool that was so easy to do really complex tasks that I could talk about the business while also building large compute clusters, databases, Mm. while not even focusing. And I think that was one of the things that really won people over is like being able to see this thing that can do such complex tasks. Mm. I could do it without even focusing on it while trying to pitch my business at the same time. Mm. Okay. Okay. And I think I saw the same thing in your demo video on the website as well. You're just connecting um, one dot to another one. So on the back end, it might be complex, as you said, but on the front end, it looks like it, it's more so visual and um, it's easy for anyone to understand. And especially when you're ta- even you knew your target audience, you you knew your target VCs. I'm assuming like it would have been really smooth for them and for you to like to cut down that chase. OK, this is what you're saying. This is what. I'm getting so yeah I, I I totally I totally get your point. How was your journey like I mean like how can a company determine like this is how much money we need to raise? Yes, you said um it is always good to raise money so that if bad times come we we can we can be prepared. But what about how much? And how do you decide that when you're so early? Yeah, I mean I am a natural pessimist um mm. so that's that's just the way i came out um so i know a lot of people say raise raise only what you need but we ended up well even when we did our round we raised a bit more just because we saw how hard it was the first time around we saw that we were raising in what was starting to become a very strange climate um and so we we raised more than what we needed mm. um and i think the key there was we also managed our dilution annoyingly well um, to most of our uh, most of our batchmates in YC um, that we've shared the numbers with and I think to even some of our VCs um, we we did a fantastic job um, staying in single point uh, dilution 
um, during our first fundraise. But mm-hmm. figuring out the number, I think, is really about figuring out, like, getting a real idea of what your business is. So when we went into our fundraise, we had our headcount for the year planned out, um, right? We've all operated, uh, I have two co-founders, we've, we've all operated uh, tons of cloud infrastructure before, we've all managed engineering teams. Mm-hmm. We knew how complex the task was. We were able to take the things that we needed to build put them on a spreadsheet alongside the number of people we thought we'd need to be able to pull it together. And we were able to show, you know, based off of salaries and overhead for all those positions, exactly how much money we needed. And that's, that's what we planned for. So um, Mm -hmm. I think we put maybe a 10% premium on what we were uh, originally going out to raise to make sure that we had a little extra just in case. Um, Mm -hmm. But just making sure that you have all those numbers in place. Like that's, that's what it really is figuring out exactly what you need. And that gets hard sometimes, right? You know, especially in the the era of the cloud, like figuring out what your cloud costs are going to be. Hopefully you've got some credits from the different clouds. Like all three clouds offer a lot of cloud credits. If you're building a startup, get those so that you can, you know, hedge your bets a little bit there, but um, getting an idea of what your headcount is going to be, what your marketing spend is going to be, um, you know, we were starting to do um, conference sponsorships as well. So mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time trying to think of what we wanted to spend in the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we that's what we um, went out and raised for. Mm-hmm. And Cody, like you had some traction when you when you raised the money or you were just traction in terms of like you yeah. had some customers or. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, we I mean, we had a really interesting traction story. Um, and so we came out of the gate really fast. Um, mm-hmm. And what happened was we were focusing on product-led growth, but we'd mm-hmm. actually never heard that term before. We were, we were doing it. And we were doing it very, very well. And I'd never heard the term before. And so coming out of YC, we'd gone in 10 weeks, we were at almost... $400,000 of ARR in 10 weeks. Like we just absolutely Ooh. took off. And so what happened was, is we were like, oh, we're signing these big contracts. We're getting lots of customers. We're enterprise ready. And we, <laughs> this is one of the mistakes. I mean, we've made a lot of mistakes. But this is one of the mistakes is we didn't see what we were doing that was causing our success. We thought that we had made it. And so we went from doing PLG, which we didn't know we were doing to really aggressive top-down enterprise sales. And we went hard at that for six or seven months mm. and didn't get a sing and didn't get a single sale. So we went from just absolutely catapulting out of YC, um, doing something successful that we didn't realize we were doing into this hard enterprise sales. And um, after about six months, we were thinking, oh, we need to pivot. Like we we've gotten this completely wrong. And we were talking to somebody about pricing and we were thinking maybe it was our pricing that was off and they mentioned call oh, like well, why aren't you guys doing plg and i was like i don't because i don't know what that that is <laughs> i've never heard i've never heard this phrase before and so uh, they told me a bit about it i went red and i was like oh that is exactly what we had been doing last year and so we started to lean back into this idea of plg writing content focusing on getting our users in the platform uh, making sure the platform's easy for them to use, sticky, easy to get back into it, 
um, putting content out, whether that's blog content, video content, open source software. And that's what was really getting people early on was our open source work. Um, mm -hmm. And so we just kind of shied away from all that because we were just, you know, a bunch of software engineers going gung ho on selling software. And so we've, we've got kind of gone back to our roots uh, and started to pick up um, some of that accelerant that we had originally coming out of YC. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of our, our, our go to market PLG story there. I really want to ask you so many questions, but I want to wrap it up on time as well at the same time. Um, but I want to still still want to squeeze in one question. So you are approaching company uh, venture firms. So what what are some of the key metrics that they look for uh, while giving you the money, like giving money to any startup? Are you aware of any, or did this like your numbers in terms of customers or big contracts that you got? Was that the you feel you feel that that was a converting factor, and you got the money? Yeah, it's really funny. Like VC to VC. Um they're what they're looking for is so different and and it's wild like even getting prepared for a series a um a part of the thing i was asking um during my calls for uh, our, our previous round was when somebody passed i would you know ask to stay in touch with them on the way to our series a keep mm -hmm. them in the loop um I, this is something i do i write my investor updates for my investors i take that email i anonymize it a bit more, scrub out some of the more in-depth details. And then I have a list of about a hundred investors I send that to. So mm -hmm. I'm actually sharing every investor update with everybody who's also passed on us. So they're staying in the loop um, and maintain those relationships. But everybody that passed, I asked them what they looked for in a series A. So I knew when to come back and talk to them. And I kept, I have a CRM of every investor I've talked to last data talk to them check size they write and what they're looking for in a series a and like looking at the series a column mm. almost nobody says the same thing <laughs> and, and it's 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 like it's wild right because you would think that there's a science to this and some people yeah. you know there's a there's a common thing where people are saying oh we're looking for a million dollars of arr yeah okay well our margins are 95 percent. so my arr and your arr aren't equal right if you've got 40 percent margins and a million dollars of arr like it's not the same story right mm. and so other ones just want to see fanaticism and mm. that's that's where we are today like we've got a handful of customers that really love the product um mm. and and that's where we're going now is just solely off of traction and so i'd say Again, it really depends. Are you doing a seed? Are you doing a series A? Beyond series A, I have no idea. I'm, I'm on my way there too. Um, <laughs> uh, I, maybe I'll have some uh, something beyond series A for you next year. But um, I think the, the key things there are like pre-series A, it's just, it's just fanaticism. It's telling the story, showing some traction. Honestly, I think that the numbers... Um, the revenue numbers can often mix people up. And I think one of the key things you've got to remember, you'll see this. Watch mm. watch an investor when you talk to them. If you say a number, their eyes instantly go down. And that's because they're writing down every single number you say. Mm. They're keeping track of it. And I, I've had conversations where I barely remember talking to the person. And they're mm. like, oh, what happened with this big three person that you were doing a proof of concept with for X amount of dollars a year? And I'm like, remember doing that <laughs> they, they track everything about you because they, they that's the most information that they have right so yeah i'd say that when you're talking to vcs like early on like 
talk about your traction, talk about your success, talk about the excitement that your customers have, mm-hmm. share those customers that are using your product, like have them have conversations with your VCs to talk about how excited they are about it. Mm-hmm. And you obviously have to tell them, tell them your revenue, but like I try to make the story more about the excitement for the product and the pain that it's solving. Um, now that definitely changes when you go to your series A, like people want to start seeing that actual growth and that there's a business there. And I think that's one of the things that's hard as founders is like, we love our products. Mm-hmm. Um, we love the problem that we're solving, but when you start going towards a series A, what your investors are looking for is somebody who knows how to build a business, right? Mm-hmm. They're, lo- they're looking for that change in the way that you behave. You're not just a person building a product who's exciting about a thing anymore. You're a person who's built a product and you're trying to figure out how to turn it into the next billion dollar idea. And mm-hmm. I think that's the perspective you have to shift. And that's where you start, you know, having, having the different KPIs that you're tracking and, you know, up and to the right, whether that's revenue, ARR, um, tons of users. Got it. Any final thoughts that you would like to share with the person who is listening to this episode right now? Anything? There's ups and downs. Like it's hard. Like, uh, you know, you get on LinkedIn and you get on, Again, I would say I'm I'm the I'm I'm a consistent pessimist, but like it is hard to get online and see other founders on LinkedIn and Twitter always having a great time. But like the reality is like it is hard. Mm. Right. And people people will be extremely positive, even even in light of like the pains that they're feeling and, and trying to get their business off the ground, right? Like it it benefits them to talk about how great it's going, but like just know that it is difficult. And so if you're, if you're to the point where you feel like it's really hard, like it's hard for everybody, mm. uh, they just, they just might not be talking about it. And if you have a co-founder, talk about it, like talk about it with your co-founder. We have every Monday at 1 PM, we have a 30 minute, uh, psychiatry session for lack of a better term with mm. my co-founders where it's, it's just us talking about how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important. If you don't have a co-founder join, uh, join a professional group with those other co-founders and you can have those conversations. Like it's, it's really easy to get disheartened, especially in this remote world where you might be sitting at home by yourself trying to build this thing. I think you have much more experience in that regard, 15 years doing remote work. <laughs> so I've got yeah. like almost like eight, 10 years. So I'm, I'm a little bit behind you. So, but, but, but I'm getting a point there. Where can we learn more about you and your business if someone wants to get in touch? Um, yeah, MassDriver.cloud is our website. Um, we're pretty much MassDriver everywhere on Twitter, um, GitHub, and LinkedIn. Um, I, I'm Corey O'Daniel. On, I'm not very original in my name. So I'm Corey O'Daniel on, on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, GitHub, et cetera. Um, LinkedIn is a great place to connect. Uh, always happy to share insights with other founders and have conversations. So um, even if you aren't looking for cloud infrastructure, if you want to bounce some ideas off me, always happy to share my connections. I've had a lot of people pay it forward uh, to me, and I want to do that to uh, the rest of the builder community. Thank you so much, Corey, for coming to the show. This really means a lot. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.